Hey, what's up? How are you? Hi, I'm good. I just finished making an amazing steak. So I'm having the best time. I really am. Oh, lucky you. Well, I had Chinese fried rice earlier. A few weeks ago, I gave my sister a ring because I wanted to talk to her about something that had been bugging me. My journal reminded me that around this time last year, I had a myomectomy. And it just hit me that, oh my God, like, this is something that doctor kept telling me that I was in my head for. It's insane. Oh, yeah. I remember that, like your fibroids, uh, you were having a really tough time and like peeing and stuff. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. Congratulations. on your. I spent half a decade in pain because the doctors I saw dismissed my symptoms. For some reason, none of them really listened to me. So like I'm calling because I want to start the first episode of the podcast, you know, with medical gaslighting. But I'm kind of like scared, like, oh, am I coming on too strong? Is this too deep to start with? You know? Okay, I mean, I understand your fears, but I don't really see the problem. A lot of African women have experienced medical gaslighting. Some of them have actually died because of it and the neglect that they faced in their doctors. I don't understand. Like, what are you worrying about? That's a good question because I'm not sure what I'm worried about. I, I don't know. My name is Aisha Salahuddin, and I like girls. This is a podcast about African women and the different experiences life throws at us just for being women. So you know that weird feeling of confusion or doubt that you get after explaining your symptoms to a doctor? And he, well, kind of just shrugs it off. And you're there, seated in his consulting room, wondering if you're overthinking things or if he really isn't listening to what you're saying. Today, we'll be discussing that. It's called medical gaslighting. And yes, it's a real thing that happens more than you think. It has even happened to me. It's where medical professionals, particularly men, downplay their female patient symptoms. In a bit, you'll hear from women that experience this. And if, like me, you're wondering why this is even a thing, stick around, because in the end, we figure out some reasons. I didn't have any idea what, what was happening to me. And then the doctor that was supposed mm-hmm. to give me, you know, that confidence that I'm on top of this, this is what is happening to no problem. They didn't give me any assurances. So when I That's Aziza Tolaolua, a journalist based in Lagos, Niger's commercial center. In August 2018, Aziza noticed that her usually light menstrual period had suddenly become heavy and uncomfortable. The next day again became heavier. I started bringing out chunks of blood, thick clots of blood. So I was worried. I didn't feel any pain, nothing as of, of that. And then it lasted for like the sixth day. So I had to go to the hospital. Even though she was not in any serious pain, Aziza was worried about how much blood she was losing. I just went to see a doctor because I, of course, that's what you'd expect a normal person to do. So I went to see this doctor, a young doctor. I explained to him my predicament and he said that, nah, it's nothing. Uh, What's your profession? I said, I'm a journalist. Are you piling on any heavy uh, workflow during this period? I said, well, actually I am. I'm just, you know, doing this other program, doing this investigation. He was like, oh, so it's just stress. Don't think of anything. Take these drugs. I'm sure it's going to thin out. Let's observe it for like a week. So she took the prescribed meds, hoping it was nothing serious, just like the doctor said. But a few days later, while on a trip outside Lagos with her husband, her husband's family as well, Aziza continued to lose blood. 
So I had to call my mom to complain to, to her. She is a retired nurse. So I told her what I had been experiencing for the past week, you know, told her, her everything. She asked, asked me some questions. And after that, she was like, I, I'm pretty sure you had a pregnancy, but you lost it like within the first month. At this point, she had started to feel pain around her abdomen. And what was supposed to be a quiet countryside vacation with her family had turned into days of excruciating pain. So I called the doctor and I said that, okay, doctor, my blah, 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 I'm still feeling these pains. This is what my mom said, and she's a retired nurse. He said, nah, I said, so can we do like a medical test whenever I came back? He said, no, no need to do that medical test. Uh, we don't think you're, I don't think you're pregnant. I don't think you lost the pregnancy. I think it's just an abnormal uh, menstrual flow because of the stress I told you uh, you have because of your workflow. So don't worry, just coming after that. I said, okay, fine. Something hit as he's at. The doctor was always quick to dismiss her. He barely listened, and he didn't even reconsider his stance when she mentioned that her mom, a retired health practitioner, suspected that something serious was going on. I don't want to say betrayed, but I felt insulted. Like, I, he wasn't listening to me because, I, you know, doctors are expected to listen to their patients, you know, because of the, their Hippocratic oath. So I thought he should have empathy, listen, and then be able to explain to me in a way I would understand that, okay, I don't think this is what is it is because what your mom said so it didn't professionally counter what my mom said when aziza got back to lagos from that family trip she tried managing the pain with meds then something happened one saturday afternoon at this huge event where she was a moderator femi additional was one of the guests there so i was to, to moderate a particular um session and the hall was packed imagine a hall packed with uh, students in Unilag, uh, middle-aged people, older people, entourage of Femi Adeshino, security people. The place was packed full and the stage was high. So anyone on the stage would be seen, you know, because the other audience would just be focused on the stage the way it was built. And that was it. Basically, it was a high stakes event for her. Gathering my thoughts to ask questions and all of that. And I was trying to mask the terrible pain I was going through on stage with all the lights focused wow. on me. I was dazed. I was weak. I was shivering. So I was partly listening to what the guests were saying. The panelists were saying, partly praying under my breath. That I shouldn't, I shouldn't fall. Cause at that time I was seeing, I was, <laughs> I was, let me just put it in the normal Nigerian term of, I was seeing double. This pain was familiar to Azizat. But from a separate event, it felt similar to the labor pains she felt during the birth of her first two kids. It was it was a terrible pain. I couldn't stand. I couldn't. At the point, I couldn't speak. I was breathing heavily. I, you know, still thinking of it, gave me it's giving me some triggers because it was a terrible experience. Honestly, pain is hard to hide, right? So after the panel session, one of the organizers noticed something was off. After that, she said, can you walk? I said, I can't. I can't even see because I was, you know, I had lost lots of blood, lots of blood that I could barely stand. So it was just coming all together. At that time, I didn't know. Bear in mind, Aisha, that uh, at that time, the, I still didn't know that, okay, maybe I lost the pregnancy because the doctor I spoke to told me that it was impossible. That it was just stress. So... So I was like, why would I be feeling this terrible pain down under my belly that was similar to, you know, labor pains? I was just praying that I don't want to die. This organizer woman and about three others stacked up a couple of plastic chairs so that Azizat could lay on them. They called an Uber to take her to the hospital, you know, the one with the doctor that didn't really take her symptoms seriously. Her husband, who was at home with the kids, was informed as well. They agreed he would meet Azizat's Uber halfway. 
Throughout the ride to the hospital, Aziza kept praying, God, please help me. God, help me. God, please help me. She was wheeled into the hospital where the doctor's presence confirmed her mom's suspicions. She had been pregnant and had a miscarriage. So the, doc- the, non- the first doctor that, that waved my mom's um, suggestion aside now came in when they were bringing the result. I said, oh, madam, I'm so sorry. Your mom was right after all. Seems you were pregnant, you lost the pregnancy. And my husband looked at him and looked at him and was like, But she told you all this while. She said, yes, we are sorry. You know, the normal thing is not to make people afraid. And but she told my husband was just angry. I I could I didn't even have time to mourn because it was like I was forced to choose between feeling well and not thinking about, about the pregnancy I lost. So I had to choose my life, you know. I was just saying, God, take this pain away. God, take this pain away. I don't want to feel like this anymore. It was terrible. Honestly, it was terrible. And I really felt disappointed in the doctor that um, initially attended to me. Because this is a lot of information to take in at once, let's back up a bit here to really understand what happened with Azizat. First off, unknown to her, she was pregnant with her third baby. Then she lost the pregnancy and started to bleed out huge chunks of blood. She visited a doctor and told him what was happening. He said the bleeding was from all the stress of work. And when she started to feel pain, she called the doctor who insisted again that there was nothing to worry about. He also dismissed Aziza's mom's suspicions. When he got out in the open that those suspicions were right, this doctor didn't really have any excuse for not taking Aziza's more seriously. So it was just him doing like a pissing contest. <laughs> like... No, I'm the doctor here. No, your mom is not the doctor. No, you are not the doctor. I'm the doctor. Yeah. The following day, Aziza got this procedure that helps to clear the uterine lining after a miscarriage. This is CBC News Hour. I am Aziza Olaolua. The top stories. Senate President Bukola. Aziza used to be a health journalist covering the country's healthcare industry. So medical gaslighting was not exactly new to her. I just want to say that what I went through is not something I could say is um, peculiar to me. Many women have gone through it and still going through it. I am one of the lucky ones because I am here to tell my story. She believes that this form of gaslighting is an extension of the discrimination that women face in other aspects of their lives. Women are dying daily because doctors who are expected to be the ones to take care of them, to listen to them, have decided to block their ears to the sounds of women because they believe you are just ranting, that we are too emotional. And until they separate their their personal values of or perception about the female gender aside from their professional expectations and roles, this will still continue. A few days ago, I checked in with Aziza to tell her this episode would air today. She's feeling pretty good about it. And she has a message for doctors who don't listen. So as a medical doctor, if you're a male medical doctor, don't see yourself as a man attending to a woman. See yourself as a doctor attending to a patient in need of your help so that we will stop uh, losing our our wives, our mothers, our friends, our sisters. It just has to stop. To be clear, medical gaslighting can be perpetrated by female medical practitioners. In fact, there have been cases where this has happened. However, it is much more common for male doctors to downplay women's symptoms, causing them to doubt themselves or to think they're exaggerating. 
And there's a lot of research to back this up. According to the National Center for Biotechnology Information, gender stereotypes often bias male doctors' assessments of women's pain. Okay, after the break, I'll bring you a story of how medical gaslighting can have far-reaching, often fatal consequences, even for those who haven't directly experienced it. Hello, my name is Hassan Namaina. Uh, I'm a writer and um, a lawyer to be. <laughs> a lawyer to be because I haven't seen my bar finals results yet. Um, and I'm 23. Hassan grew up in Meiduguri, a northeastern city in Nigeria. Her mom retired as a civil servant and her dad is an architect. She has a lot of fond memories from growing up. I mean, like looking at um, looking back and all the fun we have in the morning, sometimes we'd go on a walk. Sometimes my father would take us fishing at Lake Alo. Uh, they call it Alo Dam. This story is about Hassan's mom. In 2004, she got pregnant. I would touch her stomach and I was really waiting for a baby sister. And um, when the baby is moving, sometimes she'd place my hand on her stomach or she'd place my younger brother's hand on her stomach. The day her mom went into labor, Hassan was so excited that she could barely focus in class. So I remember being in class that day and all I could think of was a nickname for the girl. Um, I didn't even entertain the thought of a boy. I did not entertain the thought of a boy. For me, it was a girl. And um, I got back, I thought of a lot of names. I cannot remember the names now. But something weird happened when she got back. Because so I got back home and I was like, where's the baby? Where's the baby? I saw my mom. She was looking really pretty. But I was like, where's the baby? Where's the baby? One of her mom's sisters pulled her and her brother aside. And she started talking to us about death. So, but at that point, I did not understand. All I was so, um, I, so I had, like, I just interjected and I asked her, did my mommy give birth to a baby? She said, yes. And I said, is it a girl? She said, no, it's a boy. And at that point, I said, I remember saying, even if it's a boy, they should bring him. I want him. I want to see my baby. I want to see my baby brother. And that was when she told me that my baby brother is in heaven. As a child, Hassan couldn't really fathom that, but she understood that her brother would never come back, and that hurt her a lot. And I never saw the baby because the moment he, my mom said he was alive for some hours, then he died, and then he was buried immediately. So I mean, I never even had the chance to look at him to see how he looks like, to see what kind of nose, whether he has the family nose, <laughs> to see whether he he inherited the family lips. Um, whether he has my mom's kind of hair or my dad's kind of hair, or whether he has my mom's kind of laughter or my dad's. I just, there were so many things I never had the opportunity to know about my baby brother. He didn't even have a name. I wanted to know what happened. I wanted to know why. Um, and in all of my tears, I wanted something. I wanted to hold on to something. I wanted to know. I wanted a logical explanation. So, And I remember 
sometimes the mom will talk about it and then she'll talk about how even when she was pregnant and she'd go to the hospital um, and she'd complain and the doctor would say something like, so I would say it in Hausa and I'm going to translate it. She'll say, uh, the doctor would say, um, I think to translate it literally would mean um, she likes to do shakaba for her husband. Basically, Hassan's mom complained of stomach and abdominal pains for most of her pregnancy, and the family doctor dismissed her every time. He said she was pretending to be in pain so that her husband, Hassan's dad, would pay more attention to her. I lost my brother because certain people felt like a woman saying, this is wrong with me, pointing a pain in her own body, uh, it calls to her trying to inconvenience her husband. I just thought of the injustice of it all because I just felt if perhaps my mother was being heard, perhaps if, if anyone listened to her, perhaps if if they had checked what was wrong with her at that moment, probably my, my, my brother would still be alive. A lot of what Hassana knows about that pregnancy is from eavesdropping on her mom's conversations with other women. She didn't really talk about it with her. As many religious northerners in Nigeria would, her mom kind of just accepted that what happened was the will of God. Where I come from, um, we don't we, we believe in Kadera. Um things are meant to happen um because God wills everything. God knows everything. So asking too many questions, um Sometimes uh, it's misinterpreted as being tantamount to questioning God, but I don't. I don't think that's it. I feel sometimes things need to make sense for us to accept them. We we cannot accept things that don't make sense. At eight, I just could not accept the fact that my mom went to give birth and did not come back with the baby. This happened more than fifteen years ago, but the experience stuck with Hasana. It's something that worries her even to this day. She says her mother's mistreatment opened her eyes to how much, excuse my language, bullshit women experience in comparison to their male counterparts. I have heard people say things like, when a man complains of sickness, it means it's serious. But when women complain, oh, it's normal, they always complain. These are the kind of attitudes that we have towards women and their pain. Like Azizat, Hassanah believes that medical gaslighting is an extended form of the prejudice that women experience in their daily lives for, well, being women. People would want to argue your pain with you. So I feel, it's, it, on, on, on a general note, the society has no regards for the voices of women. Um, and when it comes to the medical field and the relationship between patients and their doctors um that just sort of translates it's just it's just it's just an evidence of oh okay this is another example of how much women's words are not um given any regard there are too many stories of women out there who like azizat and hasana's mom have been overlooked i bet you have many questions why is this a thing this is just another case of men refusing to listen to women because they cannot relate to their experiences well, after the break, a doctor gives us some answers. If you're in a busy setting, in a busy setting, that's not enough time to 
interact with the patient. That's Dr. Ikechuko Amechina. He's a practicing doctor based in Nigeria. I asked him, why do doctors gaslight their patients? And he had some pretty interesting answers. There's also the fact that a doctor is a human and there's um, stress. There's uh, quite a lot of stress. You have to attend to a large number of patients, very large number of patients, in a very short time in a very busy clinic. So, so would I be right to say that the ratio of doctors to patients, like it's, there are just so many patients compared to um, doctors and it doesn't make them do their job um, easily. There are way too many patients compared to doctors. Dr. Amechina is saying that sometimes doctors don't mean to gaslight. They just have a lot of patients to attend to and can't afford to have long one-on-one conversations with them. And so the doctor doesn't really have the luxury of sitting down with one person and taking their time to talk to them, get their diagnosis, because there's just so much to do. You, you, you cannot afford to do that. Look, I get what he's saying, and there's data to back it up too. So the World Health Organization recommends that every country should have one doctor for every 600 patients. But according to local media reports, Nigeria has one for 2,753 patients. In other African countries like Kenya and Uganda, the numbers are much higher. But most times, the doctor is somewhere between listening to you, trying to figure out what you're going to say in the next five minutes and summarize it in his or her head and come to a diagnosis and wrap up a treatment even before you finish talking. And maybe if they have any um, doubts, quickly check out, check them, cross them out in an examination, write some tests for you and say bye-bye within five minutes. None of this excuses how a lot of doctors treat women, but it does provide context as to why things are the way they are. We cannot deny that there's some sort of gender bias a lot of times. Um, and that, that, that probably comes up with the issue of um, um, perception of the female gender. Society has taught in a way, indirectly or directly, that if the, the feminine gender is weaker, they complain more, they love attention. So some of that mm-hmm. comes in, it comes into play for both the male doctor and the female doctor this time. Okay, so the the lady is complaining about some sort of um, issue, and the doctor is feeling she's just she's she's exaggerating because that's just what women do. He says medical gaslighting can be an extension of how society sees women: weak, emotional, naggy. And there's still a long way to go in terms of getting people to unlearn these dangerous stereotypes they hold about women. And it's quite... So there's a gap in training in terms of. Uh, I guess minorities, let's say sexual minorities and women. All sorts of minorities. We are not we are not there yet. That's just a fact. Except in obstetrics and gynecology, Dr. Amechina says doctors aren't really taught about interpersonal relationships with their female patients. I told Dr. Amechina my story, you know, the one that I mentioned at the start of the podcast. Doctors gaslit me for five years saying all my symptoms were in my head. Doctor was like, yeah, this is psychological, but it was literally just fibroids. And I was like, why was psychological about it? So I feel like some doctors are just quick to be like, yeah, yeah, it's all in your head. Yeah, probably crazy. Something like that. Yeah, that's, that's the gaslighting. He said before doctors can conclude that it's all in your head, they have to check a couple of things. That before anyone talks about psychosomatization or talks about psychological problems being the and the background cause of physical symptoms, they have to have exhausted all options, okay, all available options, and they have to have a 
they have to be able to point at the the trigger, the stressor for those for the psychological um, problems. The call with Dr. Amechina lasted half an hour. He had a lot to say, like many men hold stereotypical beliefs about women, and they bring that into their consulting room. But there's also poor patient-doctor relations and doctors who have a ton of patients to attend to at the same time. I think we can all agree on one thing, though. So many women over the years have experienced this, making it a significant problem that needs to be checked. Women deserve a doctor that will listen to them without judgment or bias. You deserve a doctor that will listen to you without judgment or bias. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Like Girls. If you want to get in touch, visit ilikegirls.co. Also, if you like this episode, please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening on. This episode is produced by me, Aisha Salahuddin. Audio engineering is by Mo Isu. Rahina Salhassan is our associate producer. Fuad Lawal is our editor. Mira Momoyele is our graphic designer. And our theme music is by Banks with a double G. The other music you heard throughout this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Hassan Yahya and Fauzia Salahuddin for their contribution to this episode. And to our partners, Radio Now 95.3 FM, Newswire Nigeria, and Femme Africa. Okay, I'll catch you all on the next episode.